Code Fun Podcast Network. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. Whether you're working on a personal project or managing your enterprise's infrastructure, Linode has the pricing, support, and scale you need to take your project to the next level. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com slash remote ruby. This is Remote Ruby. Have you any remote ideas to the meaning of the word? Hey, everybody. How's it going? Welcome back. Thanks. Y'all have a good a good time recording last week? Yeah, it's pretty good. Pretty good. How's the kid? He's good. He was in the hospital from Friday before y'all recorded until Tuesday he got to come home. Ooh. Yeah. He has pneumonia, but he's doing a lot better. He's He was like sleeping all the time in the hospital and like he had oxygen and IV and all that. Like as they slowly started removing those things, he started perking back up. So, man, scary. Yeah, it's always. I may have told this y'all. It's like it's scary having a kid in the hospital. It's even scarier in the current climate. <sighs> I bet. By Monday, they wouldn't let anyone else other than me and Shannon visit. Like they had cut off all visitors, and they had rules in place before that. So, like when I got to the hospital Monday, they like they had three people at the ER. Like they swabbed, like swabbed my head to te- check my temperature and like questioned me, make sure I wasn't showing symptoms. And it's weird. It's weird times. Jeez. Yeah, it is. They haven't shut down Tennessee yet, have they? No, Tennessee would be like the last one to shut down or the last to do everything. In my county, we have ten cases, but that's only because probably we don't have enough tests. So, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I figure we're gonna get. We're probably going to get shut down or something here in a little bit, I bet. We've got sort of the ramp up is finally happening. My mom works for a hospital in Illinois and like sells like CPAP stuff and other like medical equipment things. And she said their hospital's like first patient died or whatever. So yeah, it was somebody that was like, visiting their son in Illinois and had just come from Switzerland and stuff, but she was in her seventies or something. So yeah, not too good. That's the one thing I've been like trying to be cautious of is like my parents are in their mid seventies and like, they've been helping out. They were helping out with our oldest while our youngest in the hospital. And I was like, please just go home. Like just stay at your house. Stuff, stuff. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it makes it kind of feel like, uh, you know, your Ruby work and stuff is not quite quite as critical at the moment, huh? Yeah. Yeah. Although, unrelated, I hit my, my open PR high score the other night. 24 PRs, 23 on separate repositories. So 23 repositories committed to one day. Let's see it, gentlemen. <laughs> Dang. Dang. Were you adding Hamill to all of those? Just say, if you didn't have your GitHub or RubyGems locked down with 2FA, then I've got a <laughs> real good treat for you. Force push Hamill everywhere? <laughs> I have been known to force push to master. Not at work, though. Yet. And that's just evil. I mean, sometimes it has to happen. Sometimes I don't want people to see that I'm just shooting off commits to master that say, is it working yet? Is it working yet? 
when I'm done, I uh, squash all that down, force push that to master, call it a day. Did you guys get uh, upgraded to Rails, what, 6.0.2.2, whatever with the latest security fix? We did. We got right on that. We pushed that out yesterday morning, I think. Yeah, I didn't. I upgraded when I saw it, but I didn't actually look to see what the uh, vulnerability was. Looks like cross site scripting stuff. Yeah, I briefly looked at it, but didn't read too much into it. I probably should have. Yeah, it looks like the escape JavaScript helper, which I don't use very often, but I will use if I have like a JS ERB response. Sometimes I'll use that and insert something in like a, you know, modal or whatever. So that's kind of interesting. You guys use escape JavaScript in your apps anywhere or have you? I don't think so. I've never even heard of it. I'm not sure I've actually ever written one line in a JS ERB file. (laughs) Yeah, I used to... Oh, man. This like back when I started Rails, back when prototype was a thing instead of jQuery and all that and server side, what is it, SJR, server rendered JavaScript or whatever. That was definitely something I used a fair bit back in the day, but I haven't, I haven't done a lot of it anymore. And you got things like stimulus and view and everything else these days that you don't need a whole lot of that. And it's a little bit easier just to throw everything as JSON and then you can consume it and you know, a mobile app or an API or something too, instead of just just JavaScript. So yeah, it's probably a, a way less common feature to see in apps these days, I would imagine. Yeah, I've never even I've never even heard of those things you mentioned that came before jQuery. I didn't know there was a before jQuery set like before JQ. <laughs> yeah. Man, I was like just getting into Rails when they were like switching over to jQuery. So I don't I didn't spend too much time with prototype at all. And I don't even really remember a whole lot about what it did. Did uh, you guys use that, Nate or Jason? I came right on the emergence of jQuery. Yeah. Well, so I was using jQuery. Like I was doing front development before I was doing Rails, so like 08, 09, 2010. And I was already using jQuery. So by the time I got into server-side development, I just kept using jQuery. Yeah, I, I worked on a couple apps that, that were using that old-school templating so that you didn't have to write JavaScript. Like doing everything, everybody was doing everything they could to avoid writing JavaScript, which was a little, a little aggressive. I mean, even then, JavaScript wasn't that bad. But yeah, there was a lot of effort going into create technologies and tools that would help you not write JavaScript. Yeah, there really was. And it's funny to see how that flipped over the last few years where it's now like, what else can we use in JavaScript? Like, can we convert everything to JavaScript? (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. but to be fair, a lot of those tools, you're not really writing JavaScript a lot of the time. Because I, I wrote a Gatsby site last night and I was like, ah, I'm getting really good at JavaScript. Like I'm starting to understand React. I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'm getting it. It's all starting to come together. And then I actually had to write like a line of JavaScript. And I was like, oh, yikes. Basically just doing like hard mode HTML. Yeah, it's like uh, 
you know, like when I learned Rails, like I didn't really learn Ruby. And I was just, I knew the Rails DSL pretty well. And that was about it. And yeah, if you're using React or Vue or Angular, maybe Ember, those are all kind of their own languages or whatever DSLs in their own sense. But I guess if you're using stimulus, you got to rely on the actual JavaScript stuff quite a bit more, huh? It wasn't until I learned Backbone that I actually learned JavaScript, like outside of jQuery, because I mean, it's different than stimulus, but it is a lot of that, like, here's some tools, but JavaScript it yourself, idiot. I've always heard good things about Backbone. And I came in at a weird time because you, like, I've heard people talk about how when jQuery came out, you know, it, it made JavaScript so much more popular because it was just really hard to use before that. And jQuery, like, really, maybe, maybe not saved JavaScript, but really, like, gave it, like, the boost to get to where it is now. And when I started developing on the web in college, jQuery was no longer something that people were recommending you use. So I remember working on a few websites when I was first starting out and trying not to use any jQuery. Wasn't until for me, ES6 came out that I was finally like, okay, like I don't mind JavaScripting without something else. But when you were talking about using Gatsby, like, so I do, I'm not like a React expert, but like I'm proficient in React, but like Gatsby still scares the hell out of me. Like when I try and use it. So I am not proficient in React, but I can code a Gatsby site. We should combine forces. Yes. I, I was thinking about this last night. I need a friend who writes React. I have no React friends and I need one so that I can ask my terrible questions too. You can ask me all the React questions and I'm then good. I'll point you to someone who can actually answer them. So. <laughs> good. I, I have a growing list. So, Andrew, I was going to ask about your, your Gatsby experiment or site. I don't know if it's going to actually hit production, but I know you, you learned quite a bit doing that and you're still in the middle of it. And through our conversations, it almost re- sounds reminiscent to me of like old Java days where, I mean, you were just alluding to it that you're not writing a lot of just standard JavaScript. How much of it is, is kind of like Java, like XML configurations? And I mean, how much of your time is spent doing that stuff as opposed to actually programming? Before I say that, <laughs> I got a really cool setup going on. I'm not going to lie. It did take 75% of the time, but I can view a component in Storybook now it feels like the majority of it is. Because like last night, I got to a point where I had basically set everything up. I had walked down and tried to walk back, but not fully gotten out of like a terrible thing I almost did, like going way too deep with components and listening to too many thought leaders on Twitter. And I realized like now that I was left with the actual just work of like putting the website together from all the pieces that I created, I was like, eh, I don't want to do that. I feel like I just did so much, but I like you you can't even tell. What are you allowed to tell us what you're building in Gatsby? I can because we open source all the things at CodeFund. Last night I was it was actually brutal. I'm pretty sure it was on CNN. I was nerd sniped. 
it was just a terrible nerd snipe. Our CEO, Eric, mentioned to me that like we had our marketing site like in our Rails app in the beginning when I joined. And then we took it out for some reason that I don't remember. Well, also because it was basically like its own separate thing. We took it off the app and we put it into WordPress. Although I think we tried to do something before we put it on WordPress, but it's on WordPress now. And when all those conversations were going around, I was like, I feel like putting it on WordPress is not a great idea. I've already been through a company who kind of went through the same thing. I was like, we're going to put it on WordPress and then we're going to realize that like either WordPress can't do something that we want to do. Or this, the site just has like WordPress issues or like it's just a pain and it's hard to maintain. And we landed on B. There are issues that have been arising where like the site will just be down. And we're like, what, what's going on? And the, we're using some company to host WordPress. I'm not really sure because I haven't. I was promised when this all happened that I wouldn't have to touch WordPress, which has so far been true. I'm trying to keep it that way. But we've been having these issues. And Eric said that he, he had been looking more into Tailwind and he thought it was cool. And he told me that he was thinking of rebuilding the site with a front-end JavaScript type framework. And he wanted to use Tailwind. And he asked me if I wanted to start that. And he wanted to do it in Svelte. And I was like, eh, I don't know. I think Svelte's really cool, but I haven't seen a lot about it in terms of using it for like a front-end framework. I've never like actually site. heard anyone pronounce it. I've only read it online. So this Svelte. is a big day. Yeah. Ah, there you go. I think Svelte's really cool, but it's not... It, there's just so many really like established ecosystems for static site generation right now. And I personally am a fan of Gatsby. I've been using it for a few years off and on and never fully understood any of it. But recently I've started to understand it a bit more. I built the Ruby meetup site on, on Gatsby, honestly, because I love setting up JavaScript projects, not actually working on the JavaScript. Like if I could just set it all up, come in, set everything up and just leave, that would be, I would be, I would be the perfect JavaScript developer. But unfortunately, <laughs> those things have to be maintained. But there's a really big ecosystem around Gatsby and you can do pretty much any, almost everything I've tried to do, I was able to do within reason, obviously. But yeah, so that's where we're at. I built the site, rebuilt the site almost in a night with Gatsby and I went real deep down the component rabbit hole. I used Tailwind. That was pretty nice. Netlify CMS. So there's a headless CMS that's hooked up to it. You can upload photos to the CMS and the CMS will like process them with Cloudinary. So some really cool stuff hooked into it. But I went too far. <laughs> I went too far with the components. That makes sense now when you mentioned Storybook, which I guess for those not listening is like a component viewer for like JavaScript frameworks. It's not React specific. I don't think. I think it's like view and all mm-hmm. of them. Yeah, it does. I think about all of them. Yeah. So that makes more sense now why you would go through the, the work of setting that up. That's cool though. I haven't, I sat down and built a landing page 
Tuesday night and I looked at Gatsby and I almost went through with it. And then I just cloned in my, my usual, I use a tailwind Jekyll starter. I just couldn't commit. I have never used Jekyll. Honestly, I've always like thought about using it and then not. I've used Jekyll pretty extensively for my personal site, but, uh, Jekyll has this like, well, I mean, it's just Ruby and, and it's kind of the, the basic structure is just you throw different files in, in your repo and then it'll automatically compile those. But we had this really cool project at my first job where we were part of a university. So we were like basically getting grant money to do research for cancer stuff. So we had these libraries that we were writing in code. And the documentation was all kind of in the Git repo. So I was actually building a cool thing where we would run a script, go through and grab all the documentation out of the Git repo and turn it into a website that like showed all of that. So we'd use Jekyll for that to, to basically build a static site that we could just run through the current version of the Git repo, generate all the docs, and then spit that out. And it was pretty awesome to work on. There was a lot of like random things of like, well, how do we do nested like breadcrumb style navigation and stuff? Like we need to generate that because our app's kind of complicated or like the, the like layout of docs needed to be nested and everything else. That was, it was quite a few years ago, maybe seven or eight years ago that I worked on that. But boy, it was a lot of fun like building a, basically like, you know, taking Jekyll and building a pretty complicated site with some almost metaprogramming where you're reading through Git, generating a static site. It was a lot of fun. One of the cool things about Gatsby, like when you were saying that I was thinking about is they like air quotes here, don't care about the, like what backend you connect to. And they have like a WordPress option. So like it can generate your static site from WordPress content from like a lot of like prismic things like that i think graphql it may actually if i'm not mistaken i could be wrong andrew probably no more i'm pretty sure that like under the hood it takes all these things and makes it like a graphql style like for querying the data so like it doesn't matter what backend you have it like puts it behind some kind of graphql query it's pretty interesting like if i was building something like that that like needed a lot of data. Like most of the stuff I'm building is worthless. Like I could probably just do an HTML and jQuery, but it's pretty interesting. It it seems like it solves a cool problem where like, I imagine with that, you had to build a lot of that stuff like into Jekyll, right? Yeah. It was like, you know, clone the Git repo, loop through all the files and whatever. And, you know, it was a lot of custom Ruby stuff. Go grab what I needed and whatever. I don't even remember. I mean, most of the code was like Perl code. So it was just a different thing. So yeah, it would be really cool to... I mean, basically, when I moved my personal site from WordPress to Jekyll the first time, like I downloaded the database or something and then it was like, okay, we'll dump all these to files and then try and convert it in those short codes and whatever else I had. There was some some Jekyll plugin that did that and like having an official API or something to, you know, just implement, okay, if you can convert data into this format with titles and 
to body content, whatever, then that would be pretty sweet. Cause then you could, yeah, you could plug in WordPress database, Git repo or whatever you want, and then, you know, convert that data over to your static site generator. That's a pretty cool idea. Might have yeah. to look into that at some point, although I don't really want to do more React. So, like, I've <laughs> been doing some view lately and, eh, I, I don't mind it, but it still makes me always wish that I could do something in stimulus instead. Just yeah. a little bit of my stuff is in Hatchbox's feels a bit too complicated to do. Like, I need to dynamically render stuff quite often. And stimulus is fine if you don't mind like generating that either server side or just generating all the options and filtering them visually in your client side or something. But it just felt easier for me to build this stuff in in view. So I ended up going that route. That's what I've been bumping up against this week is we've been working on some like redesigns of a couple of pages and it's very it's sneakily very interactive. Like it at first it's like, oh, this is just a form. But then there's like five or six buttons that do things with that form. And like, so it slowly like kind of crept up on me. And so like I was my like kind of rule of thumb, and I was telling my CTO this the other day, like my rule of thumb's been try and do it in Rails. If I can't do it in just Rails, like add stimulus. And then like if I can't do it in just stimulus, then like reach for React. But the Problem is, like, I'm at that point where, like, stimulus, I'm, like, pushing the boundaries of it. And, like, I I have, like, tiny controllers, but now they need to all, like, kind of talk to each other. And, like, I know there's a way to do it. I've done it before, but it's not the most elegant way to do it. And so, like, what I've been doing is firing off, like, like if an input changes, but I need it to, like, be changed by another thing on the page, I just, like manually fire a change event for that element and then stimulus responds to that and like it works but it's like like in react like the whole thing is like data driven which is really what i'm responding to is like the data is changing yeah man two things there one is i wonder if the like nanda's talked about the the form with stimulus reflex where you can just have rails re-render the form based on you know whatever's changed that might solve that problem pretty well so then it's still you know leaving rails to do the logic of what gets rendered that's maybe an interesting approach it would probably work pretty well for what i've been doing but the other thing that you reminded me of there was with the custom event was i was fiddling with an app to use Google Maps recently. And I was like, you know, I'll just throw together a quick map, use stimulus to like control the map and everything. And Google Maps has this setup where you like, you include their JavaScript. It takes a little while for it to load. So then you can define a callback. Like they they call it like init map. And you define that global function somewhere. So it'll call that when it's ready. So you don't have to listen to an event It'll just call a method for you. Well, I was trying to figure out how to do that reasonably with stimulus because you can assume the stimulus controllers will connect before before Google Maps loads. Then how do you talk to your stimulus controller and tell it, hey, this should be loaded now? And there was no real good way of doing that because you can't, as far as I know, you couldn't grab the like 
list of controllers that are currently mounted. There probably is a way to do that. But what Sam had posted on the stimulus forum was create that init map event and just have it register a new event, trigger the event, and have your stimulus controllers listen to the event. So then you can broadcast that out to all of them. And then they can listen whenever the map is loaded, then go, you know, do whatever they need to. And then you also fix all of your Turbolinks issues with that uh, because you can load Google Maps the one time, trigger the event. Then when your stimulus controllers reload, when you navigate to another page, you already have Google loaded. So you can just load the stimulus controller like normal then. So you check and see if Google Maps is loaded in your connect event and you're good to go. I was like, man, this is pretty cool. And then it's always funny how I'll be fiddling with something like that. And then I get on Reddit and someone's like, hey, has anyone used the Google Places like autocomplete API? And I was like, I just did this two hours ago. I guess I better record a video and you know explain that. So it was like good for business. Perfect timing, right? (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like we kind of we talked yesterday. And basically like, so this thing needs to launch next week. And like, I know I could do it in React and like do it pretty quickly, but it's like, what am I not realizing that I'll run into? Like if I did that. And so basically it was just kind of like, just focus on shipping. Like, even if it's not the way you would normally like write something, like just get it in a decent spot. But I also started doing a couple of things like, I don't know. I've been really latching on to like even just custom events, like for the document level stuff. Like, and it's really, it's really solved the kind of gap of like manually connecting to another controller by the ID and the controller name. Like it feels, I don't know, feels pretty good. So. Yeah, it's a good, I mean, it's a good communication mechanism between you're not you're not coupling to specifically that thing that you currently are wanting to couple with. You can actually build that with an event so that literally anything could listen to that event. So then in the future, you already have that event being fired. So it's way more flexible, you know, later on when things will change inevitably. Like you maybe don't have to rewrite that stuff because it won't be like only tied to that other controller or something, which Hopefully it's good, you know, whenever things always change as they do. Yeah. And we're about to add like more functionality to it down the road. So like, I don't know, we'll probably revisit it, but I'm just glad that we're able to get it done in stimulus. Like as much as I feel like we're pushing the boundaries, at least it's not like cutting us off anywhere. So yeah, it's the, the thing that I ran into was like, you know, with one of the new features I'm trying to finish in Hatchboxes, you know, being able to create a Amazon RDS or DigitalOcean managed database. And those are like enough dynamic stuff where it's like, well, do you have your account connected? Can we retrieve the RDS instances or whatever that you already have? That could fail. We might need to display the error then. It could load, then we need to let you choose from your existing databases, or do you want to create a new one? And it just feels like when you go down that rabbit hole of all the things required just for Amazon RDS, then you have your whole separate thing for DigitalOcean. 
it was nice to be able to just have that like rendered as different partials or something and or, or components in view. And then I can just, you know, render whatever's necessary. I can do kind of the same thing and, you know, rails, partials and stimulus, but it's, it seems trickier to make sure that you're hiding and showing all the correct things at the right time. Whereas if I'm doing it in view, it's like display this component and it knows if the state is this, it should display that. And it's all kind of just defined right there in the logic rather than uh, spread out. And it feels a bit more easy to manage right now, but there's probably better ways for me to do that in stimulus too. Like I'm probably just not approaching it in the right way or something. See, I want to think that too. Like, am I just doing, am I stimulusing wrong? But you're like, that is one of the things like, this is a really like particular issue. But for example, like I have a button that has an icon. So we have a class for that, like button icon. And so it knows how to like line a icon and text next to each other in a button. But like, I need to show a loading indicator. I need to swap out the icon. And if I put that in there and just put like, you know, a bootstrap D none on it to hide it, it's still, it's not the first child. So it doesn't get the right margin. Where like, if I did that in React or like view, and I just said, don't render unless this like state is the case, then that would just solve that. And there wouldn't be like any swapping D nuns out. Yeah. I'm wondering if, if it ever ships. Now that RailsConf is canceled, I'm really curious what'll happen with uh, DHH's announcement on the new stuff they've been doing for hey.com, and which also got postponed, it looks like, uh, for their launch. So at some point, you know, they may release the new, they've had that open PR for like the values and classes API for stimulus for quite some time. And I'm I'm wondering if it's going to address a lot of this stuff because there there were little things of like I'll need to toggle like a a pricing toggle of monthly and yearly, you know you need to add classes to the one that's now active, but you also need to remove classes from the inactive one and stuff. And it just seemed like okay, I can define what this should look like when it's active and what this should look like when it's inactive. If I can have that built in to, to stimulus. So it does it automatically for me. It seems way more easy to work with because it's just a little bit annoying to go through your list of classes and loop through them and add or remove or toggle them for each of those elements. And if you've got to do that with two or three or four or five or whatever it is, it gets to just be a little bit annoying. So I don't know, maybe, maybe that will be a thing that's fixed here in the near future. I and say you guys are describing like some of the perfect use cases for stimulus reflect. Yep. Like you can actually sales. solve. Yeah. You can, you can, it, it, what's interesting about re- stimulus reflex is it, it has the same mental model as react where it's just data driven, except you move all the responsibility for managing the proper rendering of the, the current state back to your ERB templates. and. It simplifies so much, but it would address, I mean, it easily addresses all, like all of these concerns that all of a sudden become really complicated when you push it all up to the client without, but you don't have to go all in on something as sophisticated as React. You can still keep it really simple. I need to build something, something with it. It's been on my to-do list for a long time. And then I've already got view in there and it's like, 
a context switch to like leave that and but but it's funny because like I don't have to edit my view stuff too often. So then it's a context switch of its own to come back and be like, oh yeah, I gotta fix this form or build a another one that's similar, but whatever. So maybe maybe that's what I should do is just because this form I added yesterday, um, a little bit of view stuff, and it's kind of stupid because it's like a Rails form, then a view component that's rendered inline that just wraps all of the Rails HTML. And then I have some of the view stuff, you know, built onto to that for showing and hiding and whatever. So it's it's kind of like v- using view in a similar fashion, but it will be way easier not to have to deal with that stuff. Cause I've got to sync some things like some state over to see which, you know, if you're editing a uh, record, then I've got to like put that as props into the view component. And it's just like redundant stuff that would probably be solved by doing this in stimulus reflex instead. 100%. If you, if you tackle it, let me know. Cause I'd be happy to pair. Yeah. yeah I, same. I think it needs to be on my to-do list finally for, for the next, well, it's Friday. So maybe next week, early next week. So yeah, I'll have to ping you guys and, and go through it and, that will be a good time to do another screencast on stimulus reflex as well. So we'll have to put awesome. some, a good example together. I forgot to mention, I don't know what's going to happen exactly, but the RailsConf speakers were all emailed about if you were accepted for a talk, potentially they're going to allow you to just record a talk at home and then submit that, which will maybe go up on their YouTube or something instead of the conference talks this year. So we shall see what comes out of that. But I think it'll be kind of interesting. And they left it open for if you didn't want to give the exact same talk as you got accepted for RailsConf, like you wanted to pitch something else, you can do that too. So threw my name in the hat for doing that. So I'm curious to see what will happen with whatever it becomes of the remote RailsConf or, or whatever. It's like a day at the office for you. Yeah, right. And I'm like, oh, cool. I can just sit at home and talk to myself again. Great. (laughs) (laughs) Put some slides together. and (laughs) Yeah, right. Andrew, have you made any more progress on the remote Ruby like online meetup? I have a little bit. I am supposed to get a demo of like a product on Monday that looks really cool to do something like this for. So I think like that's kind of where I've hit a wall is like trying to find the best piece of technology to use to do this because Zoom would work, but I don't know. I feel like there's un- better options out there and I've slowly been finding more. So I've been talking to some people in the community and I created a survey that I was supposed to send out and put on the website before I was tragically nerd sniped, but I need to do that. So I'll probably do that today or tomorrow. And Depending on the response to that, we will see what happens next. Cool. Yeah, I hope. I don't know. I think it'll be fun. It seems like you couldn't have necessarily better timing. It's not the greatest uh, situation, but you know, now that everybody's stuck at home, it's a good time to put together an online meetup, huh? Yeah, I I'm dragging heel a little bit. Admittedly, it's definitely not my forte. Not my area of expertise. It's actually my area of avoidance, but I do want to do this. I just, I'm getting there. 
I was supposed to have the meetup software thing demo yesterday, but there's startup. So I think I'm doing that Monday. Yeah, well, hopefully that goes good. I'll have to chat some more and see what I can help with. Seems like it'll be a good uh, good thing to get together. And I forget somebody the other day in the GoRail Slack was like, we should just like start a hangout and just hang out if anyone wants to like work from home and have some other people around to chat with. And I was like, yeah, that's kind of a cool idea. It'd be kind of fun to have like a, I don't know, like this, like our podcast uh, Zoom, but just like a permanent one that was available just for people to drop in and, and chat. Maybe maybe that's where, I don't know, Discord's pretty gamer-centered, but it's kind of cool to be able to drop in and into a voice chat anytime. Although it's kind of nice to be able to chat with people on video too. So I don't know. That at Podia, like we already all work from home, but like for me, I'm used to seeing people outside of work, right? Like my friends like here in Memphis and we're all staying home. And so mm-hmm. like that's how I've been getting my social interaction. Like our random channel is more active than it's ever been at work. And like we've been hopping on Zooms and hanging out. Yeah, I just, I don't do it all day, but I need, I need people around. Otherwise I will go crazy. Yeah. That was like the first day that, that I was like, I should probably start staying at home. I was like, I'm really antsy all of a sudden and I want to get out of the house. (laughs) Andrew, I was going to say, if you need any help, I would be glad. I don't know what I can do to help you, especially if you're trying to avoid it. I can help distract (laughs) you or I can help you work on it, whatever you want. Well, I've got two options. One is that I actually get this all together. Okay, but here's two. And two, don't give up on two yet. Because two is we create a web streaming startup with WebRTC. Boom. I'm out. (laughs) You don't want to do Rust on on the server, on the client? Don't want to touch WebRTC. Oh, man. I've heard a lot about like, People doing like an open hangout. We we tried that at CodeFun one time. It was very distracting for me, but I knew that the others enjoyed it, so I did it. I am not someone who needs to be around people all day. I've I've kicked that habit. I'm very I'm very fine to just like chill and do my own thing. But I also live with roommates who. I have no no obligation to not like scream at and then angrily puff away and just be angry for an extended period of time and not have to worry about the children getting fed. So, but yeah, I, I was saying this to someone earlier. Like, this is also my form of social interaction, which I don't know how I feel about saying that out loud. But the one thing I see with all these open calls, maybe this is just my brain, but that seems like prime place for the the dirty people of the internet to make their mark. Yeah, I mean you'd have to moderate that. I don't I don't usually just like go on Zoom and then be like, hey Twitter, what's up? Here's my open Zoom hangout. I mostly kind of isolate. Right now it's just people I work with or like my close friends. Because though I want to be social, I don't want to be that social. Yeah. I uh, I would almost rather have like if if I was going to do that, I would rather have like, okay, during this 30-minute period of time or during this hour period of time, we're all just going to hang out in Zoom and that's what we're going to do. Other than like, hey, this is an option if you want to hang out during the day because uh, some people talk to themselves when they work and I, I, 
I, I can't do that. My brain does not like when that happens. I need like total zone away from other people. If someone else is talking, like I'm not getting any work done at all. Yeah, I got to usually stay headphones on or something and tune out the world to be able to like focus for... And I need to usually be able to focus for like a few hours at a time. So if there's like any distractions or even if I know that there's like a meeting coming up in three hours, I'm still like conscious of the time and kind of like keeping an eye on it. So I don't like, cause there's been plenty of times where I'll like get into something and then, Oh yeah, that uh, meeting was half an hour ago or something. And yeah, I, I know the feeling. Well, anything else new this week you guys want to chat about? I don't really have anything very exciting. I've just been stimulusing and rubying and parenting. So. Some of that sounds fun. And then I just heard a crying child. Yeah, it's, uh, it's nap time. So mm. for me. Whenever parents like tell me like their horror stories about their kids or like just anything... I relate to almost all of it. And I'm like, you know, maybe don't make him nap. What if he doesn't want to nap? I didn't want to nap. I don't want to nap now. (laughs) Why are you going to make me nap? (laughs) Our oldest doesn't nap anymore. But the problem is if this dude doesn't nap, then at five o'clock, he wants to destroy everything. So we take 10 minutes of screaming for a night of not having our house catch on fire. I relate to him, not you. (laughs) <laughs> parenting parenting's great but ask me that in six weeks when i haven't been able to leave the house yeah i feel sympathy for all of y'all with kids <laughs> i mean not only i'm sure the added stress of like not only just to make sure you stay alive but then you got everyone else to keep alive too and then all that stuff all right well anybody else got anything Not that I can think of. As long as we're all comfortable saying Hamel is the best template language, (laughs) then yeah, I'm good to uh, wrap this one up. End the episode. Cut them off. uh, Don't want to have to bring up Hamel again, but pretty, (laughs) pretty nice. You don't want to have to. You didn't have to. No, I have to. (laughs) It's it's like Martin Luther nailing his 95 theses to the church door at this point. I need to get my message out there. Yeah, but with Hamill, that's 95 levels of indentation that you have to follow with no end. And that was an exceptionally good burn. Ah, it hurts. All right. Well, good to be back. Good to catch up with you all. Yep. Stay in your house. Stay safe. Yes, please (laughs) stay in your house. Yes. Cool. All right. We'll talk to you guys next week. See you. Later. Bye-bye. This podcast is brought to you by our friends at Linode. With 11 data centers worldwide, including their newest data center in Sydney, Australia, enterprise-grade hardware, S3-compatible storage option, and their next-generation network, Linode delivers the performance you expect at a price that you don't. Get started on Linode today by going to linode.com forward slash remote Ruby.